is a bonus episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze 15 hours of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. This project is made possible by the Tao Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. I'm a graduate of that program, not a student. If you don't know me, I have a long history covering and researching the far right, specifically a hate group known as the Proud Boy. I was hoping to have this done sooner, but it was much more work than I thought it would be. Um, still learning kind of how to do this. So, Paul Pelosi, the husband of Speaker Pel- uh, Nancy Pelosi, was attacked inside their home in San Francisco by an intruder who had seemingly had some sort of political motivation. Immediately within hours of this attack hitting the press, conspiracy theories started to sprout up all over the internet that were fairly obviously a false narrative because they were so outlandish. And I would say that this is a common pattern, especially when it involves a right-wing perpetrator. Anything to do with the, with the right-wing, they immediately want to cover it up and say, we didn't do it. You know, it was like on January 6th, as people were storming the Capitol, if you went on Twitter, people were saying, well, that's Antifa. Those aren't really right-wing protesters. You know, even though a bunch of them have had trials, they're definitely right-wing. They're definitely Trump supporters. You know, they've testified, everything. But when it was first happening, the buzz on Twitter was, oh, that's all Antifa. So this is sort of similar in that something happened and immediately this fake narrative sprouted up. And uh, I want to just get into this because it's going to, this is a lot of clips, although most of them are very short. So just explain what I did. I wanted to see immediately how Fox News would cover this. Because if it's in the conspiracy theory realm, it'll go so far. Once it hits Fox News, then it's kitchen table. Everyone will talk about it and nothing will stop this. Because there's a lot of Republicans and MAGA and Trump supporters and conservatives who do not go on Twitter and won't necessarily take a story like this seriously. But the minute it hits Fox News and Tucker Carlson says it or Hannity says it, then it's gospel. Then they'll repeat it. So (laughs) I knew from past experience that if I just watched one primetime show, I wouldn't get the full picture. So on Monday, as I was doing my regular schedule, I went ahead and captured special report with Brett Baer, uh, primetime with Jesse Waters, um, Tucker Carlson Tonight, Hannity, and the Ingram Angle. And then I spent the next couple days going through every single show uh, clipping out the sections where they talked about the Paul Pelosi attack, analyzing it, breaking it down, figuring out where they were going with it, and then putting together this crazy long um, newsletter. And if you saw it today, I also did a great Twitter thread, which I'd never done that before with videos. I wasn't sure if I could do that. Um, so that was sort of an experiment and it worked. It was very popular. It's got like thousands of views. Thank you if you viewed it. Some of that material will be in this as well. This is a a little bit more detailed. So that's what I did. And it was, uh, you can hear my voice a little bit lower than normal because I'm tired. Um, It's been a lot of work. But I will say I love doing this kind of work. This is like exactly the kind of journalism that I want to work on. Um, So I get exhausted. I get worn out. I push myself too hard. But I love this beat and I love working 
in misinformation, disinformation. And honestly, I like helping you, my audience, figure out what your relatives, neighbors, friends, co coworkers, colleagues are talking about when they spew this nonsense. I want to help you navigate around it, help deflect it, and not get sucked into it. So here we go. The headline is really boring this week because I figured why even bother making it fancy? Let's just get to it. Fox News, the primetime coverage of the Paul Pelosi attack. Within hours of Paul Pelosi being assaulted by a crazed political extremist, the right-wing echo chamber created a false narrative to distance themselves from the incident. The opportunistic trolls decided the mentally ill drug addict who wrote angry right-wing screeds on the internet was really a gay prostitute who somehow ended up in a lover's quarrel with a much older client. The theory was based on a confusing 911 call and inaccurate information released to the press about the attack. One reporter from a local Fox affiliate mistakenly said that Pelosi's attacker was arrested in his underwear and the gay Tris story was born. The theory was blasted into overdrive when the richest man in the world and new owner of Twitter decided to tweet a version of the story to Hillary Clinton. Within a few hours, it was trending on the platform. Seemingly instantly, everyone who might attend a Trump rally was an expert on glass doors, the gay nightclub scene in San Francisco, home security systems, Capitol Police protocol, and the personal life of the husband of the Speaker of the House. Ben Collins, an NBC reporter specializing in extremism and misinformation, put it perfectly on a recent appearance on MSNBC. First of all, lies on the internet move faster than the truth. I wondered how Fox News, the largest right-wing media voice in America, would spin the story. I knew the daytime shows would probably avoid running with a theory this outrageous, but one of the primetime hosts might run with it. I decided to capture and analyze every show on Monday, starting with a straight news program, special news report with Brett Baer, along with the rest of the primetime lineup. If any of the Fox anchors decided to amplify the story, it would basically be adding kerosene to a newly lit campfire. No other media company or platform can reach as many Americans as Fox. What I found was a mixed bag. Some anchors went right up to the edge of calling Pelosi a closeted homosexual, while others seemingly didn't even want to talk about the story. The Breakdown. The first show was the special report with Brett Baer at 6 p.m. Amount of coverage, 20 minutes, 30 seconds. That includes a press conference given by the DA and chief of police that lasted 15 minutes. Now, from time to time in this podcast, I'm going to reference something called the newsletter. That is a companion with the podcast. Some people consume both. Some people don't. It's all good. It has hyperlinks in it, which I think is important for anybody who wants to look up any of my sources or that sort of thing. So that's why it's very helpful. Um, in the newsletter, I have all of this written out in a bulleted list. For the podcast, I'm just going to play the audio. And the person you are hearing is a local Fox correspondent in San Francisco. You mean, Brett? Yes, authorities say the suspect admitted to breaking into Pelosi's house through the back door with a hammer. He is now facing two federal charges, one count of assault of an immediate family member of a U.S. official and one count of attempted kidnapping of a U.S. official. If convicted, he could face up to 50 years in prison on both charges. Police say 42-year-old David DePoppy broke into Pelosi's home, woke him up, and demanded to see his wife. When Mr. Pelosi told him she wouldn't 
be home for a few days. DePoppy said he would wait. Mr. Pelosi was able to slip into the bathroom and call 911. When police showed up, authorities say he ran to the door and grabbed onto the hammer that DePoppy was holding. Police say when they arrived, DePoppy gained full control of that hammer and swung it right into Pelosi's head. DePoppy was arrested immediately. Now, during a Mirandized and recorded interview, the complaint states that DePoppy said he was going to hold Nancy hostage and talk to her. If Nancy were to tell the truth, he would let her go. And if she lied, he was going to break her kneecaps. He also said he viewed her as the leader of the pack of lies told by the Democratic Party. He told police that by breaking her kneecaps, she would have to be willed into Congress to face the consequences of her actions. Police say they found DePoppy's backpack at the scene, which contained a rope, a roll of tape, a hammer and rubber gloves. Authorities determined that DePoppy was living in a garage of a residence near Berkeley. Also, per an ICE source, DePoppy is in the U.S. illegally as a longtime visa overstay. Now, authorities say Paul Pelosi did not know the suspect and that they were the only two in the house at the time of the attack, that there was not a third person. Also, Mr. Pelosi is expected to fully recover from his injuries. Now, there's one discrepancy in what she said that I would take issue with based on the charging documents, and that's the address for DePop. Um, she puts him in Berkeley or near Berkeley. And according to the charging documents, it was Richmond, California, and it's actually further north. And I don't know how anybody would call it's a separate city. I don't know how anybody would call it Berkeley based on the map that I looked at. And that is an issue that comes up later in the podcast. So um, I just wanted to play that and include that in this piece to show that Fox News does actually have real, accurate reporting. They have actual journalists on staff who know what they're doing. It's not most of Fox News, but it does exist. And I wanted to show that because you will see how very quickly what we just heard, the professional, detailed, she's reading right off the charging documents. Most of what she's saying is accurate. Brett Baer is perfectly calm. He's agreeing with her. There's no, oh, what do you mean? There's no drama. There's no emotion. That exists. And then just the next hour, everything falls apart. Once we get into prime time, it turns into straight up propaganda. So next up is the, this is just some excerpts from the district attorney of San Francisco. And the information that I included for this podcast are things that Fox News uh, anchors keep getting wrong later throughout the night. Jim Charlton, Wall Street Journal, uh, Brooke, um, Jason, uh, um, thank you for this. Um, how many, uh, who opened the door uh, for the police officers? And uh, one question, my second question is, how many times he was struck one time with a hammer, not twice? So at this time, it's unclear which of the men opened the door. And uh, we are also still fleshing out how many times he was struck in the head. Gabriel, okay. Bachelor, Mercury News. Um, I'm wondering how a, an individual was able to access the home of someone so prominent. Was there any security in place there? How was he able to open the door of this uh, uh, home? What I can tell you is that uh, there was no security present and that he was able to break the window to a glass door to gain entry into the home. Uh, you spoke about people being revealed in the arraignment tomorrow. Uh, when and, and if will, will we see the uh, body cam footage from the cops? Uh, when it is made available during a court proceeding. That will not, that's the way that this works. But will it become public? 
if it is played in a court proceeding, it will be public then. Can you definitively say now this was obviously politically motivated? Yes, it appears as though this was based on his statements um, and comments that were made in that House during his encounter with Mr. Pelosi that this was politically motivated. Any evidence to suggest you would go as far to say it was an assassination attempt? Uh, what I will say is that he was looking for the speaker at the time that he entered the home. Of course, the federal affidavit contains a bit more information about other things that he's motivations that he's expressed, um, but he certainly did uh, enact what we believe is an attempt to murder her husband at the time uh, that the police arrived. Okay, so the first show up, now that we're in primetime, is primetime with Jesse Waters, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. He dedicated about 20 minutes to the story. That's important because when you take the commercial breaks out of any given hour on Fox, you get about 40 minutes. So he dedicated about half his show to just this story. Waters acted as if every single detail in the charging document was somehow suspect. He almost got comical at times as he questioned the smallest details that were confirmed by both the chief of police and the district attorney. He seemed oddly obsessed with knowing the identity of the person who opened the door for the police. I'm not sure how that would have changed the story much. The cops confirmed that there was no third person in the home as previously thought. Waters also made some assumptions about DePape that were based on faulty evidence. Waters, Waters described DePape as a progressive based on statements of DePape's ex-girlfriend, Oxanne Gypsy Taub. Their relationship ended seven years ago. The only statements that she had about his politics were when they first met, which was 20 years ago, as a local ABC affiliate reported. And this is what she said. I don't have audio for this. I'm just going to read it. Well, when I met him, he was only 20 years old and he didn't have any experience in politics. And he was very much in alignment with my views. And I've always been very progressive. I absolutely admire Nancy Pelosi. So the blogs attributed to DePape that contained conspiracy theories and right wing political rants were verified by his daughter, Inti Gonzalez, age 21. For evidence of DePape's political views, Waters included a short segment by Michael Schellenberger, where he interviewed a couple of random alleged neighbors in Berkeley, California, at the address of DePape's ex-girlfriend. The charging document, again, said Richmond, California, not Berkeley. So Schellenberger, at the Berkeley address, asked a woman identified only as a neighbor what she thought DePape's politics were. I'm not sure. I would imagine that they're more left-leaning. That's not exactly a strong opinion based on any evidence. Schellenberger was also at the wrong address. This is from the charging document. On October 29, 2022, law enforcement determined that DePape lived in the garage of a residence on Shasta Street in Richmond, California, by interviewing the owner of the premises who confirmed that DePape has resided in the garage for approximately two years. Richmond is north of Berkeley. DePape's girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, Oxanne Gypsy Tob, had broken off the relationship seven years ago, and she's currently incarcerated for stalking and trying to kidnap a 14-year-old boy. DePape may have known people at this old address and visited from time to time, but he didn't live at the Berkeley address at the time of the attack. Then Waters continually asked questions that had already been answered. He does this throughout the rest of the segment. 
How did this homeless drug addict even get inside the house? No one has been able to give us a straight answer about that. If Waters or anyone from his staff had watched the press conference that was part of the program that preceded his, they would have the answer directly from the district attorney. The same information was confirmed in the criminal complaint that was publicly accessible to anyone. Waters also tried to make a lot out of the 911 dispatcher's comment that Pelosi called to Pape a friend during his 911 call. Now, I'm going to play the whole thing. I have seen this online and in other shows on Fox where they have edited it. This is the full clip. RP stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. RP stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. RP sounded somewhat confused. The part that I've seen edited off of that clip is the line, RP sounded somewhat confused. So let me just read it clear so you can hear it nice and clear. RP stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife or that he doesn't know who the male is, but that his name is David and that he is a friend of his. RP sounded somewhat confused. So if you actually break down what he says, the dispatcher says that Pelosi doesn't know who the male is and that he was confused. That's actually in the line. He says he doesn't know who the male is and that he was confused. Now, Pelosi was most likely panicked and scared for his life and spoke in code as so to not further upset DePape. It's hard to know exactly what happened or why he would make that reference, but the dispatcher statement is hardly declarative. Then Waters demanded to have video evidence. And again, you're going to hear this for until there's a trial. You're going to hear them whine about this. Everybody on the right wing, they're still doing it. We haven't seen any footage from any of them. Neighbors have cameras. We haven't seen any footage. We haven't seen body cam footage. We haven't seen anything. The only person on the record who's been a witness to what happened before the break-in is a private security officer who was working nearby, not for Nancy, but for just, a neighbor. Now, you can hear in his voice that tone that he has, that Jesse Waters, like, I'm going to be an investigative journalist. What were they doing? He says it over and over the whole 20 minutes. So I just want to point out that his plea for footage was already addressed in the press conference. The DA basically said that the footage would be released once it was used in a court proceeding. The footage is part of an active criminal investigation. The prosecutor is not going to release the footage to the public as it could hinder their case against a pape. Waters also tried to imply that the San Francisco officials had changed their story. Details are commonly confused or misreported immediately after a crime. A local Fox affiliate was the source of the false claim that DePape was arrested while only wearing underwear. The story was corrected almost immediately after it was published. In the criminal complaint, DePape is described as clothed. Waters also played a clip of California Governor Gavin Newsom saying that Waters had harshly criticized Paul Pelosi for months. Waters was outraged over the governor's comments. Waters did run several week-long segments, not just about Paul Pelosi and his DUI case, but Paul Pelosi Jr. Waters' case against Paul Pelosi Jr. was especially weak as he offered up no solid evidence of wrongdoing. The governor who didn't deport the deranged drug addict felon who thinks he's Jesus? Or the news guy who fairly covered Paul's DUI case? So governors don't deport anyone. It's all governors. They have no jurisdiction to do that. Fox purposely obfuscates what the definition of a sanctuary or state is. 
ICE can still track down anyone who's in the U.S. illegally, regardless of where they reside. Now, I'm going to play the condensed version of the whole segment. It's much shorter than 20 minutes, but this gives you a feeling of like his tone and the, the goofy stuff he says. She released a criminal complaint that's really left us with a lot of questions. The complaint says, quote, when the door was open, doesn't say by who, how a homeless guy was going to get the House Speaker from San Francisco to Washington with broken kneecaps, we don't know. So people are saying DePape was a, an Obama supporter who was psychotic and paranoid and a heavy drug user. But we also have questions about what happened that night. How did this homeless drug addict even get inside the house? No one has been able to give us a straight answer about that. Now the Pelosi's have cameras all around their house. We haven't seen any footage from any of them. Neighbors have cameras. We haven't seen any footage. Pape doesn't seem like a very crafty criminal, does he? Again, the complaint says the door was opened, but doesn't say by who. Hmm. Why won't police say who opened the door? But if we've learned anything about the Pelosi's, you just got to keep asking questions. So that's classic Jesse Waters with that tone of voice and that condescension and that, but why? But why won't they give that us? Hmm? And even the hmm, hmm little noise that he makes is just ridiculously stupid. Okay, so that's Jesse Waters, who basically is trying to be Tucker Carlson 2.0. But Jesse Waters is a shadow of what I'm about to play you. Tucker Carlson takes it to a whole other level. And just so you're not like, how long is this podcast going to be? The first two shows are going to take up a lot of time. Uh, Ingram and Hannity are going to fly right by. So now we're into the next level of he's right on the edge of calling it out as the crazy gay tryst uh, conspiracy theory, but it doesn't go quite in. We're going into Tucker Carlson, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, duration of segment 25 minutes, which again is insane because that's over half of his total airtime. Here we go. So I knew this story would be red meat for Tucker Carlson. It had enough cracks and fissures that he could try to drive freight trains of doubts through it. Carlson didn't fully commit to the worst of the gay lover's quarrel theory, but he hinted at it. What he created was classic misinformation. There was enough truth in his version of events to give him some plausibility, but he relied on old and inaccurate information and cherry-picked the rest. So this is how he twisted the story. He starts off with a nod to the gay lover's theory. Inside the home, they found Pelosi's 82-year-old husband, Paul, and another man 40 years younger called David DePappy. Why were the men's ages so important? He also framed it as if they were a couple. Another man 40 years younger. How, for example, did DePappy get inside the Pelosi's home? This was answered in the press conference that aired on Fox News just two hours prior. Carlson then paraphrases D.A. Jenkins. And yet in this case, San Francisco D.A. Brooke Jenkins says that there was no security present at the Pelosi home on Friday night. So this is something else that Carlson could have verified easily. Family members only get security detail when they are with the government official. Speaker Pelosi was not at the home at the time of the attack. Then Carlton pivoted back to an old press conference. 
At the first press conference on Friday, San Francisco police suggested there was a third person in the home when police arrived. Was there a third person at the home? We don't know, but it's not crazy to assume there was. This had been corrected since Friday. Carlson is most likely counting on the fact that most of his viewers don't know this. Just like Waters, Carlson also brought up the 911 call and mentioned details he knew were incorrect. He then mentioned a false detail that was immediately corrected after it was published. Local KTVU investigative reporter Evan Cernofsky, for example, initially reported that DePappi was, quote, found in underwear when police arrived. Today, Cernofsky made a specific point of retracting that claim. The reporter actually retracted that statement almost immediately. Carlson could have easily phrased it as false information, but he acted as if the underwear was relevant. He continued. Quote, but you can't blame, and this is the point, you can't blame people watching all of this at home for thinking that maybe there's something weird going on here. There really isn't that much confusion. DePape confessed under oath. There were witnesses to the attack. The chief of police and the district attorney corrected some misconceptions, and the reporter, who falsely claimed that DePape was arrested in his underwear, corrected his mistake. So the solution, obviously, is to release the police body cam footage from last Friday. So Carlson is not exactly a novice. He's been in the news industry for his entire adult life. He would know that the body cam footage is not going to be available to him or to anyone else. D.A. Jenkins specifically addressed this in her press conference. Carlson is most likely using this as a device to act as if there's some grand cover-up. DePape is entitled to due process, just as any other suspect would be regardless of circumstances. Releasing evidence to the general public before there is a trial could ultimately result in a mistrial or hurt the state and federal government's chance at conviction. I'm getting worked up because he's driving me crazy. On the other hand, if you want people to fall headfirst into crazed conspiracy theories, then you would keep lying and hiding things. Carlson uses the terms lying and hiding as if the police and the FBI are purposefully obscuring evidence as part of a cover-up. He neglects to tell his audience that the DA said in the press conference that was broadcast on Fox News just two hours prior that the footage would be released once it was revealed in court, which could be several months from now. Then Carlson shifted to DePape himself. And now the details get really blurry. Like Waters, Carlson uses the old address for DePape instead of the address in the charging documents. Lives in a hippie school bus in Berkeley with a BLM banner and a pride flag out front. Again, there is documentation that the address in Berkeley is not his current address. Then Carlson brought up that DePape was an illegal alien from Canada, then showed a slew of clips from other news programs where they mentioned his online extremist right-wing content. Carlson then made a strange pivot that internet archiving services hadn't registered anything from one of DePape's websites until the day he was criminally charged. That's incredibly misleading, as internet archiving sites are unlikely to scrape anything from a website that gets very little traffic. What most likely happened is the traffic for the site skyrocketed on the day DePape's name was plastered all over the news. The websites in question were filled with right-wing conspiracy theories, including QAnon ideology and anti-Semitic screeds. Carlson also claimed that there was no way that this homeless man could have possibly created a website. DePape wasn't homeless, he lived in a garage, not a bus, and could have easily used a friend or family's member's computer 
or home to create an inexpensive WordPress blog. The Fox News host finally went into full tinfoil hat when he tried to connect a bunch of outdated and inaccurate information back to a vast conspiracy. And this is what Tucker Carlson does. So keep in mind, as you shake your head in bewilderment at all of this, that the midterm elections are next Tuesday and Democrats are in trouble and they believe the attack on Paul Pelosi might help them. Tucker wants his audience to believe that the chief of police, along with the district attorney of San Francisco, multiple FBI agents, the family members of DePape, a mentally ill drug addict who's in the U.S. illegally, the police who arrived at the Pelosi home, and possibly Paul Pelosi himself are all part of this plan to help the Democrats in the midterm elections. Carlson went back to showing clips from other news organizations discussing the attack while going into one of his classic self-righteous diatribes about how all of this led back to some sort of plot against free speech and open discourse. He even claimed there was no such thing as hate speech. The New York Times has just come out with a piece that says, and we're quoting, Elon Musk in a tweet shares a link from a site known to publish fake news. Really, what did Elon Musk do? Well, he linked to an article about how Paul Pelosi called the guy in his home a friend. Well, that's what the 911 tape says. You can draw your own conclusions or not. So Carlson left out that the source Musk posted included a completely fabricated story about the entire thing being part of a lover's quarrel between two gay men. He then shifted his focus to the incident simply being part of the rising crime wave of mentally ill people violently attacking random people. When Democrats get crushed in next week's midterms, it'll be in part because people who live in cities and states run by liberals understand that what happened to Paul Pelosi could very well happen to them. And no one would care. Morning Joe would pretend it never happened. And then Carlson pulls a classic Tucker Carlson move. When you question, say, COVID protocols or drag queen story hour, or the war against Russia, you are effectively smashing an 82-year-old man in the head with a hammer. That's classic Tucker Carlson. He's going all over the place and coming back to trying to tie everything together. It's, it's total gaslighting. It's completely insane. This is what he does all the time. And this is why he's so difficult to kind of unravel and why people get roped in and they think that this actually makes sense. So this is the entire 25 minutes that are reduced to less than two minutes. Watching this story all weekend with growing bewilderment, inside the home they found Pelosi's 82-year-old husband, Paul, and another man, 40 years younger, called David DePappy. At this point, that's what we can say for certain. David DePappy assaulted Paul Pelosi with a hammer. How, for example, did DePappy get inside the Pelosi's home? So how did DePappy get past security? that apparently wasn't there, and why wasn't it there? If, and once he was inside, what exactly happened next as a crazed conspiracy monger? But the question remains, was there a third person at the home? We don't know, and the door was opened. Well, opened by whom? Yet in Pelosi's 911 call, he knew DePappy's first name and apparently referred to him as a friend. But what does that mean exactly? Well, again, we don't know and we can't know, we, since so many facts, basic facts, seem to be in dispute. But you can't blame, and this is the point, you can't blame people watching all of us at home for thinking that maybe there's something weird going on here. On the other hand, if you want people to fall headfirst into crazed conspiracy theories, then you would keep lying and hiding things. 
is a mentally ill, drug-addicted, illegal alien nudist who takes hallucinogens and lives in a hippie school bus in Berkeley with a BLM banner and a pride flag out front. Despite all appearances, another member of Donald Trump's QAnon army. So on what grounds, other than political desperation, are they saying things like this? Well, those are the facts. What do they mean? Well, it's a right-wing conspiracy, obviously. Better indict Marjorie Taylor Greene for the crime. So keep in mind, as you shake your head in bewilderment at all of this, that the midterm elections are next Tuesday and Democrats are in trouble and they believe the attack on Paul Pelosi might help them. Fortunately, you can no longer have free speech. Well, you can't. They're telling you this is an example of stochastic terrorism. There's no such thing as hate speech. It's worse than that, it's violence. It gets people killed. That's the stochastic terrorism. When you question, say, COVID protocols or drag queen story hour, or the war against Russia, you are effectively smashing an 82-year-old man in the head with a hammer. So I know that's a long clip, but it's classic Tucker Carlson because it's a jumbled mess. And I did edit the heck out of that because it was 25 minutes long. But 25 minutes of that, and what he'll do is he'll intersperse it with clips from other media companies and then he'll rip on all the other journalists. And that's it. That's what he does. And it's part of the reason why he's in a total league of his own compared to the other people on Fox News. Because to an unsophisticated audience member who's already leaning towards conspiratorial, towards paranoia, towards fear, all of that, would just hook into that and be like, yes, that's what I want. And that's why he's so dangerous, in my humble opinion. Now, the next person up is Hannity, which comes on at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I predicted this. I thought Hannity would respond this way. And he did. He's old school conservative. So Hannity spent a whopping four and a half minutes on the story, and I could just sense resentment. Like, he didn't even want to talk about it. So he didn't seem to care much about it. He treated it more like a speed bump that slowed him down from his driving full throttle into his nonstop demonization of Democratic candidates running for various offices all over the country. Instead of obscuring facts and using old information, Hannity framed it as a random attack that had nothing to do with uh, politics. He did not misrepresent any of the basic information in the charging documents or press conference. The only detail he got wrong is he said DePap had lived in a storage shed instead of a garage. Hannity also implied that when Senator Rand Paul was assaulted by his neighbor, that it was politically motivated. Paul's neighbor attacked him over a long-standing dispute over lawn waste, which is kind of funny, but true. Hannity was also the only Fox News host to bring up former President Donald J. Trump. Why? I don't know. And then he reduced the attack to simply the result of Democrat policies leading to an increase in crime and then transition to attack on Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, which is true. That was a weird pivot, but he managed it. That's well, This is his thing condensed, which is also even more condensed, but I just wanted you to hear some of how he handled this because it was so radically different from the two other hosts. Across the country. And that brings us to the horrific attack on Speaker Pelosi's husband, Paul. According to reports, he was assaulted with a hammer inside his own home by an intruder, quote, looking for Nancy. The assailant we now know to be an illegal immigrant is a hyper-paranoid, pro-nudity activist who allegedly lives in a storage shed and, and believes in QAnon conspiracies. We wish Paul Pelosi a full and speedy recovery. This is 
not political. Unfortunately, many on the left, they want this to be political. They want voters to believe that the illegal immigrant nudist to attack Paul Pelosi is representative of conservatives in America. He, now, of course, they were singing a very different tune. Remember when that Bernie Sanders superfan shot up a baseball field full of Republican lawmakers? And you might remember just this year, they all but ignored the assassination attempt against Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. And when Senator Rand Paul, remember, he was violently assaulted, many on the left, they just mocked it. Now, many in the media mob have the gall to bash President Trump for, uh, what, waiting two whole days before condemning the attack? Uh, I thought they didn't want to hear from Mr. Trump. Uh, you might are. recall in the summer of 2020, we had 574 riots. We had dozens of dead Americans. We had bricks, rocks, bottles, Molotov cocktails thrown at police officers. Thousands of them were injured. We had billions in property damage. And most Democrats were either silent or lied to us and told us they were mostly peaceful protests. Uh, where were they then? And by the way, uh, Paul Pelosi was the victim of a deranged individual. It's sad, but it's happening in city after city and town after town, and it's becoming increasingly lawless in this country for everyone, in large part because of Democratic policies. Now, here's the difference between, fundamental difference between Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity. Now, they get along, they're friends, they're very friendly with each other. Uh, Tucker Carlson keeps beating Hannity in the ratings, and I could probably tell you why, because in my humble opinion, the Republican Party has gone down a conspiratorial path, and Sean Hannity is old school Republican, and if you listen to his monologue, he's just saying, he's not linking anything together and making this vast, complicated web, or talking about people taking away your rights, or some sort of master plot, you know, and, and going to these crazy places, he's just like, yeah, but what about this? And 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 it's all your fault because it's your dumb policies. Sean Hannity. Boom. And I sadly think for Hannity, at least, he's like 10 years ago. And that's why he's not doing well in the ratings because people don't want that anymore. They want Crazy Tucker who goes on these crazy, you know, these elaborate plots where it's all coming back to hunt you down and take away your guns and arrest you for January 6th and all this crazy. Now, Laura Ingram, honestly, she spent eight minutes and 30 seconds, but she really didn't. That was technically her angle, the beginning, her monologue, she calls it the angle. It honestly felt like Laura Ingram had a monologue already written and decided to tack on a brief statement about the Pelosi attack at the beginning. And it was so awkward that normally uh, any speech writer would know or person who writes is if you're going to do that, you, you kind of bring it up at the beginning, maybe tie a couple things into it, and then you frame it at the end. You bring it back. You bring it back around. She didn't even bother to do that. She like brought it up a couple times, kind of worked in Paul Pelosi, and then she just ended with a totally different topic. And I'm like, wow. So she couched the entire incident that it was being manipulated by Democrats in the media as a political event, and it wasn't, which of course it was. To Ingram, this was just a random mentally ill man who happened to attack the spouse of the Speaker of the House. To her credit, Ingram did not imply that there was any cover-up or conspiracy involved, much like Hannity. She used the assault as a means to criticize Democrats and other media companies. She played several clips of various journalists and pundits using language she felt was heightened and vitriolic. About half of her segment was clips from other news programs that she criticized. Ingram barely even mentioned the attack. She just tore into President Biden and the Democratic Party. Now, I'm going to play, again, hers, 
and it, it will fly by. It's funny how the first two shows were very involved because they had much longer segments and they were trying to pull all this craziness in. And then the senior, the people who've been around a little bit longer at Fox News were like, oh yeah, Paul Pelosi uh, was attacked. Now my rant about something completely unrelated. And this is, I had to listen to her monologue like four times because I couldn't even, I was like, is this about Paul Pelosi? What is this about? <laughs> it was that obtuse. We, we expected go. almost within minutes of the horrific and terrifying attack on Paul Pelosi, Democrats saw a political opportunity. And by the way, I don't recall liberals pushing for accountability when a Bernie Sanders supporter shot up a congressional baseball game. And this summer, of course, a man was arrested near Kavanaugh's house with a plan. Democrats' warp view of the First Amendment is that it protects their speech, no matter what. So they can lie and they can say Donald Trump colluded with Russia, or they can call him a fascist or a white nationalist all with impunity. Now, are these folks not aware of how rough the rhetoric has been throughout our almost 250-year history? If you were wondering what their closing argument was for the midterms, you just heard it. It's only gonna get worse. Wor worse than what? Biden's leadership? Where real median incomes have been declining since the beginning of the year? Or where we're approaching winter with potential for crippling shortages for diesel fuel and heating oil? or maybe worse than the rampant crime that's plaguing cities from Oregon all the way to Pennsylvania, of course. According to the latest ABC News Washington Post poll, among all voters, the economy was the top issue with 84% saying it was highly important. This was closely followed by education and schools with 77% calling those highly important than inflation and crime with 69%. Of course, they can't admit the real reason that they're scrambling, right? It's their own stupid decision to hand the keys to the party to the far left. Only a tiny sliver of America even knows what QAnon is. But I'm telling you what, they sure as hell know that they're paying every week a lot more just to keep their car on the road and food on the table. So I just wanted to include some of the interior of her monologue to show you that it really wasn't about Paul Pelosi at all. She mentioned him a couple of times and then she tried to like make it into this whole thing really about Democrats because I think she was just hell bent on look, the midterms are coming. We got to criticize Democrats. I'm going. And she sort of framed it, but not very well. And she, it was a very, very strange monologue. I've seen some of her monologues are confusing. That was one of the more confusing ones I've ever watched because it was all over the place. I didn't even know how to edit it. It was like, uh, she was telling a history lesson about rhetoric in the United States and like heightened rhetoric is nothing new. I didn't include that because it was kind of too long. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I will give Hannity and Ingram credit for not spreading misinformation, for not going to conspiracy theory land. However, I will also criticize them for both downplaying what was basically an attempted assassination attempt on the spouse of the Speaker of the House. So not great. Um, but so that is, we're at about 45 minutes right now. It's five hours of media reduced down to 45 minutes. And I think it was a great example. I was excited to do this because I've never seen a conspiracy theory at the very beginning with Fox News. Everything else I've seen them do has been something that's been simmering, that's been around for a minute. The January 6th has been around for a minute. All, most of the stuff Tucker uh, you know, pulls out is old. It's, it's already been out in the you know 
far-right ecosystem by the time it gets to him. This is the first time I saw something in real time sort of start. And then I was like, how far is Fox going to push this? Do they want to get sued by Paul Pelosi? Do they, you know, are they going to go all the way to gay lovers tryst? There's some hints that Tucker might be pulling that in because he made some comments tonight that were a little like right on the edge. Um, but that's the podcast. I will keep you posted. We should have another podcast on Monday, my regular podcast. I also, just to let you know, did record a great interview with Andy Campbell, the author of the book about the Proud Boys. I just have to edit that and package it and put it together. That should be coming out soon. Um, I have a Patreon if you want to support the project. It's Decoding Fox News Patreon. There's also a tip thing. People are confused where this is on my Twitter. It's right next to my little uh, avatar. There's a little dollar bill. It goes straight to one. If you want to support the project, the project is funded by a grant, but the grant is starting to run out. It, would, it should run out around February. So um, I'm not sure what's going to happen to Decoding Fox News after that. We're, we're going to figure it out. I have no idea yet. Um, I also just want to say thank you so much for listening. And because of what's going on with Twitter, please tell your friends to subscribe to Substack because I don't know if Twitter's going to exist. It's been so dodgy and crazy, and Twitter has been such a huge part of this project. I'm also thinking about branching out into YouTube. It's funny, the reason why I haven't done YouTube is I don't really want to appear in the videos. I don't really care. <laughs> I'm just like, why do I? And for YouTube, in order to get an audience, you kind of have to be in the videos. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. So um, you'd think I would. I spent my most of my adult life on stage. But at this point in my life, I this audio is great. I love this. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. Thor and Odin say thank you. And I will be back with you guys Monday. So thanks so much.